podcast for kids musicians by a kids musician. And this week we have someone who I have to say professionally as a performer in the genre, I have a little bit of envy about. I'm just going to set him up just like that, right out of the gate, the pressure. Here it comes. The awkward silence. And there it uh. went. <laughs> so I have envy on several levels for the, the for the guest today. Um, one of it is completely superficial and silly, but best beard in the universe. Ah. <laughs> okay, so that probably gives away right away because we know we're not talking about Jack Foreman. <laughs> um, uh, the other thing is is the sheer joy that this performer brings to his his body of work. And I say the body work because it's multifaceted. We're talking about albums and singles, but we're also talking about a really robust streaming online presence. And since the uh, pandemic began and we've been home, I've been kind of watching what's going on out there. And this, uh, my guest today certainly has that going on. And finally, I'm a little bit envious because I think I think he has a new guitar and I really like it. It's It's really cool. And so, well, let's just get into my whole guitar, beard, performer, Envy, as we welcome Red Yarn to the barn. Hey, Red, how's it going? Great. Thanks, Cowboy Andy. Wow, I'm blushing over here. I know I know the audience can't see blushing on, on, uh, uh, on a podcast, but I'm definitely blushing. You're glowing. Mm. <laughs> Thank okay. you for your kind words. So let's, uh, just for the sake of clarity, you, your handle is Red Yarn. Yes, sir. But you you're not you're not shy about your uh, real name either in like your website or your albums or anything, are you? Totally. Yep. Which is Andy Ferguson. I'm a fellow Andy. You are a fellow Andy. Yes. So, uh, and what would you like me to call you today? What would you say if like if you were at Kindycom and someone was like, "Oh my god, this is the guy with the beard. There he is. That's." And he came up, they come up, they would say, "Hi, I'm so happy to meet you." And I'd say, hey, I'm Andy, also known as Red Yarn. You can call me Andy, Andy. Between okay. Andys. Between I love Andes. it. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Between two Andys. Very awkward. Okay. So I'm super excited. I've been thinking about you for a long time. I was thinking about you to try and get you on the podcast uh, even before uh, the, the pandemic started and everything kind of shifted around. Um, partially because of what I said at the, at the uh, earlier, which was the the joy and the energy that you bring to music, your presence, and and then it was sort of uh, for me the curiosity about how you transitioned from doing what you were doing to doing what you're doing now. Yeah, is is something I want to chat about. You're in Portland, Oregon, right? Portland, Oregon, yes, sir. Love the town, town it's of bridges. A great place, yeah, yeah. Pittsburgh is the town of bridges. So is Portland, but yeah, Portland's really nice. Yeah, we love it. <laughs> and so, um, and this is kind of this is timely because you have a new album coming out, mm-hmm. which I'm I've listened to. I've listened to like the first four or five tracks. I wasn't able to get through all of it because I just got a sneak peek of it just today. Which is oh totally yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. Oh yeah. Well, it's hard. You know what? It's hard not to catch your material. If you listen to Kids Place Live or to uh, Saturday Morning Cereal Bowl or, you know, you you definitely making the rounds as far as getting your music out there. Let's go back, very... to, go back to the beginning. You're from Texas. 
I grew up in Austin, Texas, yeah. Austin. Oh, see, Austin, Portland. You're hitting mm-hmm. all the cool spots. you got to move to Missoula, man. <laughs> I know. I'd love to. I'd love to spend some time there. Yep, I grew up born and raised in Austin, Texas, and uh, another amazing music and art town. And um, definitely that place got me started on on my musical path. It's It's hard not to... It's kind of hard not to become a musician growing up in Austin, but it's there's just music, music in the air and music in the water, and uh, and yeah, um, yeah. So, but I, but I I was born and raised there. You know, started uh, playing uh, piano and violin as a kid, and picked up the guitar in eighth grade. I had a teacher who was a um, a real enthusiast for for blues music and Texas blues, and so um, he kind of inspired me to pick up the guitar and. Uh, in seventh eighth grade and uh and started doing the high school band thing all through uh all through high school went to austin high school and my i with amazing classmates like gary clark jr was a a grade behind me a, a fiddle player named warren hood we were in a he's a kind of austin legend and we were in orchestra together and um i don't know if you've heard of a band called shaky graves but oh uh, yeah he, holy cow he, came to, he went to the same high school i think started a year after i did but just, uh, I mean, just kind of indicative of, of growing up in Austin, just surrounded by good music and uh, and good musicians. So, mm. yeah. But then uh, split for the West Coast after high school. Went to college in Southern California and uh, moved up to Portland right after that. And now I've been in Portland, sheesh, uh, 14, almost 15 years, I think. Wow. So how did you, when you were, when you were in Austin and you're getting a feel for the... Uh the music scene down there, your emphasis as far as what you're doing now and in your, the, like the six albums, you've, you have a very strong Americana feel. Mm-hmm. I think that's right down the middle of the road, Americana. Yeah, safe to say, yes, Americana, I think works Is well. that something that you developed out of the Texas sound or that you discovered later? Did you, have you, have you always been sort of in that pod? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's it's been it's certainly been an evolution. Um, I, I was exposed to what you would broadly call Americana, definitely um, growing up, growing up in Texas. You know, listened to a lot of the kind of Texas country singer songwriters, Willie Nelson and Jerry Jeff Walker and Towns Van Zant and those kind of folks. That's just like playing at the house growing up. Um, but also was you grew up loving the, what at the time was called oldies, but um, music from the fifties and sixties, the old, all these radio stations would listen to that with my dad all the time. And, um, the rock, rockabilly influence, which is kind of reemerging now was definitely like an early piece of my, um, musical education. But then, yeah, like I mentioned before, um, Texas blues uh, is, is a, is a big thing. And, um, in kind of middle school and early high school, uh, when I was learning to play guitar, it was je- definitely kind of, um, learning from uh, fellow blues enthusiasts, and uh, but then my high school band was like a punk rock band, and uh, <laughs> and then it wasn't until I went to California that I sort of like kind of started. I, in, in college, I played in a couple of bluegrass bands, um, and then but it was really kind of a conscious decision about twelve years ago, ten or twelve years ago to like really my my songwriting has had kind of always had that like folky americana style but i didn't necessarily feel like i knew enough about american folk music and um roots music to like honestly call myself a folk musician so it it, that was a decision about 12 years ago to really do a deep dive into the american folk canon Mm -hmm. um via a couple of different um 
print anthologies, an Alan Lomax book, a Carl Sandburg collection, where I just like spent months teaching myself old folk songs, adapting them, writing my kind of coming up with my own versions, studying the roots of different songs, the connections between different songs. So um, I feel like that sort of folk Americana has all has definitely been a through line in my uh, musical influences um, since I was a, a young person, but it, it's been a, it was a more uh, kind of conscious effort in the last 10, 12 years to like really educate myself um, around folk music. So when you go back and you look at the tree trunks, are you looking at like the Carter family stuff and pre-Appalachia sort of style Americana mm-hmm. music? But then obviously, you know, there's Bill Monroe and there's that whole other side of the the Texas Western mm-hmm. feel, mm-hmm. which is, mm-hmm. you know, the two, the parallel paths of music basically growing at the same time, which... Yeah. I don't think it's a far, if in my mind anyway, it's not um, a stretch at all to see these stepping stones of that sort of uh, um, Appalachia style to Western to rockabilly. I mm-hmm. mean, it's like, to me, yep. it's like the natural evolution. Rockabilly to rock to punk is yep. like, yeah, that's yep. just the way it goes. Kind of protest yep. songs in the street, songs about us versus them, songs about being down and trying to get up or you yep. know songs about faith and family you know those i always see those links in the chain basically going through and it's like well what flavor ice cream do you want you know exactly this one that one just like jump into any one of them yeah i, but, I mean but, you hit the nail on the head oh go on well but the the interesting thing for me is then you end up in children's music mm-hmm. playing music for kids mm-hmm. which how how does that I mean, I have my, I, I see how it distills because I know the genre, but for mm-hmm. you, how did that, how did that sift out? So it was sort of a, um, yeah. So interestingly, I felt, I feel like in some ways my fascination with these old folk songs led me into children's music in a way. So when, when I moved to Portland, I was playing, you know, quote unquote, grown up music. I was in a, a, a few different kind of indie rock folk bands, um, with a, with some college buddies I moved up here with and did that, you know, did that for several years. And meanwhile, I was working with kids in an after school program. And so I knew, um, my, my dad's a, uh, an, an ed- educator, a high school teacher, my mom's a social worker. So I I'd always been drawn to working with, um, working with kids. And I knew that was something I wanted to do. Um, and so I was, I was working in an after school program with school age kids. And then I was playing in my grown up band, uh, at night. And I was working in this, the community center where the after school program was housed. Um, and they, they asked me if I wanted to do some, you know, evening time programs for families. And I was like, well, sure. Uh, so I started, you know, so I started this study of old folk songs. And the interesting thing about a lot of these, I was really drawn to these um, kind of dark old animal folk songs, mm. but they, they're what kind of were traditionally considered like children's songs. So a song like Froggy Went a Courtin' or Fox Went Out on a Chilly Night or uh, John the Rabbit or Bob the Rabbit, um, which I, I, sorry, I do as Bob the Rabbit. Um, all of these kind of weird old songs that are like pr- pretty much about like life and death in the animal world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but through the years, because they're about animals, and I think because probably a lot of them developed as ways to educate kids around around life and death around you know the natural world all of that these are what is what have been considered children's songs so i was like wow so like you know you look back and you're you know and pete seeger and ella jenkins are singing you know are singing these old songs that are like 
yeah, they're about animal. They're about talking animals, but they're also, they have some kind of weirdness and some darkness in them too. And I was like, I wonder if I could get away with that also. <laughs> um, so I'd been sort of collecting and studying these songs. And so I started uh, performing them for kids and pretty much immediately I was like, oh, <laughs> This is my audience. You know, <laughs> here I am. I'm. I was in my um, in one of my bands, early grown up bands. I, I'm like always trying to do the like interactive participatory thing from the stage. I'm like, okay, everybody, clap your hands. Everybody, sing along. <laughs> and we got all these Portland hipsters with their arms crossed. Like, Not who? In. Who is this? You who? Oh and, uh, yeah. <laughs> so as soon as I start performing for kids, I'm like, oh yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be. <laughs> Um, so it's just this cool fit between like, I mean, I was like in this kind of deep in this um, kind of creative uh, intellectual study of, of of these old folk songs. And then that ends up being like really perfect material to, to be working with when I started performing with kids. Um, so, yeah. So so just one thing led to another. And um, my now wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, she's she's a singer and grew up, you know, she grew up singing in church and grew up um, doing summer camp. So she knows, knew a lot of these old songs too. So we sang together and, uh, and yeah, we had kind of an informal kids band for a little while, but when she went back to grad school to become a teacher, um, I was like, oh, I, I need to come up with my own kind of solo project. And so that's kind of when Red Yarn emerged. Mm, wow. Um, I, I, when you were saying that, it was, it was reminding me of things like Aesop's Fables. Mm-hmm. You know, and how, and it suddenly struck me. It's like, yeah, there's some really dark literature, really mm-hmm. dark content. A lot of the time, you know, Grimm's fairy tales and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, moralistic stories. Right. These parables are there specifically to warn kids to not trust the snake, sure, or to you know that you know that sort of thing. And and told through animals is more approachable and a little bit safer mm-hmm. than if it's told about you know through through people right same same content just right. different different main characters right right so yeah i can totally see that and yeah i mean I, I love turning on the bubble machine you stand in front of a bunch of like hipsters and you turn on the bubble machine and they're like hmm don't don't, look, don't, don't get that in my eye you put it like, you turn it off for kids and you got to you know there's some kid who's putting his head in the machine exactly. like Aah! I was like, yeah, that's my guy. Here we go. <laughs> totally. That's the difference there. So then so, yeah. you, uh, you're, you're very um, rolling back to then you became Red Yarn. Mm-hmm. And I've seen last summer, I remember looking at uh, your, your calendar of events. Like on mm-hmm. Facebook, you're like, hey, you know, it was like May, I think, April or May. Sure. And you're like, here's all the places that you can see me. Mm-hmm. And it was like two pages. It was like two columns. <laughs> it was just like, oh my god, this guy, this guy is going all the time, playing all different size venues, libraries, yeah. and yeah. just all over the place. How did you, how did you develop into that? Yeah, I mean, I feel like in a lot of ways, I just kind of um, got lucky and have gotten a lot of great support, you know, um, by uh, you know locally by my by my uh, fan base, but also by, you know, librarians and, and bookers across the region and across the country. I early on, um, you know, I think when I first went full time, I went full time with Red Yarn summer of um, 2012. And it just so happened that that summer there was a, um, the Oregon uh, Library Performer Showcase that happens in Salem, Oregon, every couple of years, where librarians from around the region will gather and 
performers get to go up and do like their manic five five minute um, <laughs> spiel. So I did that, and you know, and I think that just kind of that led to a lot of library gigs the next summer. And you know, I think it's just been kind of started pretty locally, and then it's grown a little more regionally. And then meanwhile, I've been trying to engage in more of the like national kindy music scene. I've been lucky enough to work with Beth Lynn's Klukas, who's an amazing um, publicist and she's, she's gotten my music and the word out wonderfully for me. So yeah, over the years um, between the kind of like local and regional library stuff, and then, you know, uh, occasional opportunities to tour, to go to the East coast and um, play shows out there, go back to Texas and, and play shows there. I've gotten to do, um, shows during South by Southwest. I've gotten to perform at the Austin city limits festival. So just kind of with different regional connections and, um, and like luckily friends across the country, um, and family across the country that we can stay with when we tour, I've been Mm -hmm. able to do a good amount of that. Um, so yeah, this is, this summer is very strange, uh, because it's the first summer in sheesh seven or eight years where I'm not like performing two or three shows a day, (laughs) um, sweating and traveling and putting miles and miles on the car. And, uh, so it's you know it's a it's a nice little reprieve, but um, I'm also I'm also missing that for right, sure. Yeah, those uh, showcases we uh, especially like the library showcases. I've heard those those are pretty pretty darn important. Yeah, I mean to if you can nail one of those, and by nail I don't mean do your best, you know, stick the landing. I mean sure. show up and yeah. and and just get engaged with that. When you did the first one, were you doing puppets and everything that's in your show now? Had you already developed that that uh, program? Yeah. So I'd been, you know, there were a couple, there there were like two years where I was still working at this after school program I told you about and sort of building red yarn on the side. So I had sort of come up with the persona. I had, you know, um, collected and adapted, um, you know, a good number of of these old folk songs I had you know, a suitcase full of, of these puppet characters, some of which I built, some which I got friends to help me build. So yeah, the, the, all of the elements were there. Um, I mean, it's hilarious. I have video of the first one in the early days. Uh, Andy actually wore a, a beard made of red yarn on top of my actual red beard. Oh, that's, um, that was a bad idea. It was a bad idea. <laughs> I wish I would have talked to you right away. You could have told me that. Dude, you're going to get hot. A child is yep. going to pull it off. You're going to get crap stuck in it all the time. Yep, yep. And then that yeah, one was... time that you forget it, you're like, oh, man. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, so I can see yeah. that coming. <laughs> I did, yeah, I did a year or two of performing with this ridiculous red yarn beard on top of my own beard. Um, so, yeah, it was all, yeah, I mean, I, I if... I, I thank the librarians who watched me and, and, and saw that there was a glimmer of of, uh, of of potential there because when I look back on them, I'm like, who is this crazy person? <laughs> no, I'm not letting them into my library. <laughs> but um, it's like it's like how many masks? Like several wearing four or five masks and take one off, and there's another one. Ex- like, Wait, exactly. but you already have a red beard, right? So, oh, yeah. Okay. I think I sort of wanted to. I thought maybe it would like help kind of create this like larger than life. Pers- bard persona sure um you know there was a nice connection point with the name being red yarn and it being red yarn it was very recognizable but eventually i was just like okay ditch the red yarn beard i'll make a red yarn hat band and then there we go There's there you the go connection. sure uh, <laughs> so yeah. But, but yeah that i mean that was a huge opportunity i think yeah any any i think for for folks who are who are new to the field any any opportunity like that where you can get in front of you know hundreds of people who could potentially 
give you uh, book gigs for you. Those are, I mean, it's so, it's so important. And I've found, I think some library, I think some performers sort of like do the library thing for a year or two. And then they sort of draw a line in the sand and they say, okay, I'm now only going after, you know, this kind of next level of uh, quote unquote, bigger gigs at performing arts centers or at, you know, bigger venues. But, um, I mean, for me, especially because I can sort of scale my show up and down. I mean, the vast majority of my shows are solo shows. I do duo shows with my wife when there's a budget for it, and I can do a full band show. But um, I think given that they're sort of like I can scale it up or down, libraries have been such a huge part of my bread and butter and, you know, and such a great way to reach uh, reach people in all sorts of communities and play for um, families who I'd never play for otherwise and see parts of the the state and the region that I wouldn't see otherwise. So I've just, I mean, libraries have been amazing for me and I, I, I hope I won't ever have to stop doing them. Well, there's a reason that authors go on a book tour yeah. when they release a new book. It's because you got to get out there and let people see you and and experience it. And then it gives you the opportunity to sell books. Yeah, And yeah. that's the thing. You go to a library in Pocatello, Idaho, like, uh, I've never been to Pocatello, but I'm playing at the library <laughs> for a couple, you know, two days on a Tuesday or whatever. Sure. Yeah. And you sell five or 10 CDs and one little kid gets a big smile because they see you. And next thing you know, it's like, oh, now I have a fan base in Pocatello, yeah. Idaho. That's, yeah. how, that's how you build and grow. That's small ball, you know? Yeah, that's, totally. That's the key. Uh, we don't have any libraries in Montana. Nobody reads. So, <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> no, we have some lovely libraries in Montana and, and opportunities. So you should you should come to Missoula. Yeah, I want to. It's on, it's on the list. <laughs> because because then I'm going to move to Portland and I'm going to take over your scene. Do the Andy swap. swap. Be awesome. <laughs> Just you kidding. You got a grant back in 2013, mm-hmm. and so you launched Red Yarn in tw- in 2012. You'd been doing this for a couple of years, so say 10 years ago. Yeah, you started it. You built it up. You put together the puppets. Oh, puppets, real quick. You know, people like Val Smolkin actually does ventriloquism. But I've seen your, yeah. I've seen your performance. You don't do ventriloquism. I, you just no, do other voices, right? Yep, yep, yep. And you know, and I found that at least when I'm doing my solo shows and and I'm handling the puppets, yeah, I don't. I mean, I've never. I'm not. I. I I'm sort of a, I'm, I'm way more of a musician than I am a puppeteer. Um, I love doing puppets and I love the, uh, you know, just the, 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 the characters and the humor they can add to my show and the, and the sort of dynamic range they can add to my show. It's not just all rocking out kids dancing around. Mm -hmm. They sit down and kind of listen to a little puppet skit. They engage with it, but yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm still growing as a puppeteer and I'm lucky to work with puppet puppeteers and puppet builders who are, um, far more skilled and trained than I am. Um, so yeah, I've never really tried, I've learned or tried to do the ventriloquism thing. Um, but I found that, you know, for my, for my audience, um, which is primarily like, you know, I'd say like two to six is kind of the, like, you know, three, four is like the real hot spot. Three, four, five, two to six is a slightly larger range, you know, um, definitely like zero through eight enjoy my shows, but you start getting past eight and they're, they're not sold. They're not sold on the puppets. Uh, mm-hmm. I've I've found not. I mean, not across the board. But for my audience, you know, the way I do puppetry seems to work, and uh, they're they're able to you know pay attention to these characters and not pay attention to me <laughs> flapping my jaw. And, uh, so it's it's fun. I love that part of it. And it's relatable. I mean, when you get a yeah. four year old when they play with a puppet, and they're making it talk, they they don't try and do ventriloquism. Right. That's just the, right. it's the way you play and you tell the story. I caught your show this morning 
actually. Oh, nice. Thanks. Which was homespun, red yarn homespun. You're doing it mm -hmm. uh, Mondays and Wednesday mornings? Yep. At 10 twice, twice a week. Yep. Uh, twice. 10, 10 o'clock yep. uh, Pacific time. You got it. Yep. 10 yep. o'clock Pacific on Facebook Live. Um, twice a week during the summer. Come September, we'll see. I, I had been doing three a week during the school year. Um, I sort of have to, we're still uh, still kind of in wait and see mode with um, what school is going to look like for my son and for my wife. So, uh, yeah. uh, but at least, um, at least I hope to keep doing them Monday and Wednesday morning. So, yeah. Were you, were you doing these prior to the pandemic? No, I was doing, I, I, I had local weekly shows at those times, but in venues. Hmm. So on, on Monday mornings, I was performing at a wonderful nonprofit that housed in a church where they kind of used the church building to do other types of programming through hmm. the week. So I had a weekly show at a, a nonprofit called Tabor Space in a beautiful, sh in a beautiful church. And another one at a ballroom, village ballroom was on Wednesday mornings. And I had a a weekly gig at a pizza, a pizza place called Mississippi Pizza on Thursday evening. So I, I had those were my three weekly gigs in Portland, and I just kind of turned those times into my um, live stream times when the pandemic came down. And uh, yeah, and it's it's uh, it's it's been working. It's it's something. Mm -hmm. It's like a, a way to keep performing. So yeah, um, I found some people find it. Um, other performers, but. Uh, in, somewhat in the in the ki children or kids music genre, but also in, especially in the adult uh, genre, you know, people who play um, breweries and things like that, mm -hmm. that they took to it really quickly. Like, oh, we're gonna do live shows, and then mm -hmm. after the first six weeks, they're like, they were exhausted. They yeah. just couldn't. They, it was just too much to try and figure out how to maintain the enthusiasm. Yeah, and they saw the numbers that maybe started when everyone was really supportive and excited yep. of like, oh look, eighty people are watching. Down to well, I'm going to record it. I got two people on and right. show it later. You had good yeah. numbers this morning when I was watching your show. There was like forty kids viewers. Yeah, yeah. and uh, how do you? How have you been able to, or have you been able to, sort of you know sustain the momentum within yeah. your fan base? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I mean, it's it's certainly been challenging, and 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 I certainly had the the um, similar experience where the initial response, I think, you know, when the pandemic first started, and people were really conscious of artists and musicians starting to lose work, and a lot of people were. I mean, the but I think both the number of viewers and people's willingness to to donate, because um, I'll, I'll accept donations on you know Venmo and Cash App and PayPal during my shows, and. Um, yeah, the the response was overwhelming, overwhelmingly positive and supportive, and I was just blown away. And I knew, but I knew I was like, this is definitely not gonna last forever. So, um, <laughs> you know, I enjoyed that while it lasted, and uh, and tried to build enough um, kind of consistency into my shows and and ways for the audience to engage. That you know, I just sort of crossed my fingers that some families in that initial surge would um, would make it a part of their weekly routine and. Um, and stick with it. And yeah, and I mean, I think thanks to, a, you know, kind of a small but mighty and really loyal group of uh, mostly local, but also, I mean, this is the cool thing. Now I have fans who watch me every week who don't live in Portland, right? Um, so that's been one of the blessings, certainly blessings uh, in silver linings from from this hard time has been reaching people outside of Portland uh, more regularly. So yeah, I mean, so I still have a, a wonderful audience. And yeah, I mean, certainly views and donations are not where they were at first. Um, but it has been my way to keep performing. And, you know, and I think 
because I was doing these weekly shows in Portland, um, my role in a lot of families' lives and kids' lives has been kind of a, a regular one. It's not just the performer who sort of blows through town and you see once a year or something like that. Like families had really kind of built, a lot of families had built their weekly routines around coming to my shows. And I try to, you know, with these recurring puppet characters and, um, and themes that I weave in, you know, kind of messages, values, themes I weave into my shows. Um, yeah, there's sort of, there's a way that kids really feed on. I mean, kids love consistency anywhere, but, um, I really try to make that part of my show. So yeah, I mean, so I've been lucky enough to be able to keep doing it. And I guess crossing my fingers that in the fall, I'll probably try to sort of mm, rebrand or relaunch or, you know, add some new elements to the shows in the fall to kind of like amp it back up. And at least in the Pacific Northwest in the fall, as the weather starts to turn, um, hopefully people will be kind of like re-engaging in, in video content a little more. Um, it's hard in the summertime. I'm like, I don't really, I, I kind of, between every song, I want to be like, Okay, turn off the TV. Go outside. Go outside. You know, <laughs> but at the same, time, I don't say that because I really appreciate everybody who's still tuning in. So, yeah, it's been awesome that I've been able to keep doing that. And I mean, it's the you know, I I canceled. I think I had fifty library and venue shows canceled this summer, and uh, yeah. so this has been my my outlet um, and my way to stay connected to people. So I mm -hmm. I feel really lucky to be able to do it. One of the elements of engagement that I noticed is like part partway through your show. You did the um, Critter Portraits, where you actually, mm -hmm. you know, you solicit kids to send you pictures that they draw of you and your characters and these situations and things like that as yeah. as, as an element of interactivity. Was that yeah. something that you were doing before, like when you'd, you'd be at the pizza place on Thursday, like hand out paper and say, let's draw some pictures? No, I mean, no, that's one of the great things that's sort of grown out of this. And I, and I think there's, I've found ways to engage when you can't when you can't engage with them face to face it's like you you kind of i i start i started searching for other ways to mm. to connect with family so that well, was you know what we should do we should do a yeah. new segment on barn batter barn batter <laughs> barn batter banter we should do What's a new called? segment on whatever we're doing here today and you know what it's, it's going to be called i'll put a bunch of reverb behind this it'll be cool it'll be the top 3 so it's the top three. <laughs> Let's do the top three. What are the top three engagement activities that you use as a way to hook them with a really big barbed hook and fight in those <laughs> kid fans to keep them engaged? The top yeah. three engagements. Go. So, so yeah. So soliciting artwork and showing off artwork um, during my live streams uh, has been a huge one. And Good. it's just awesome to see the creativity and, you know, kids will draw pictures of my characters, but just their own invented, uh, you know, characters and their stuffies and their pets and all that. So that's been great. Uh, a little girl unsolicited, um, wrote and recorded a, th Oh, I guess maybe early on, I was just singing. So I was just going like, uh, critter portraits. Hey, I was just like singing a really <laughs> ridiculous theme song for this section. And this, and I, I, during one of the shows, I was like, please, somebody help me come up with a better theme song for And this little, this little girl, Clementine, um, composed on piano and wrote out the lyrics and the music of this lovely little ditty that now I play for before each critter time. It's like the little theme song for that section. So that was great. Critter time, portrait time, critter portrait time, critter share. birthday shout out so people will let me know when their kids having a birthday and i'll shout out my show that's been great and uh and at first um i mean i'm a pretty full body like energetic performer so at first i was finding it very hard to like 
you know, look at the Facebook comments while I was performing. And I think everybody's sort of struggling with how to, you know, how to keep track of the live comments, you know, in the moment. Um, but, but lately I've been, I've been, uh, you know, a little better at like who's watching. And I shout them out during the show or I, or I come up with a question like 15 minutes before the show, you know, that I know I'm going to get to. So like, if there's a social emotional prompt, it's like, okay, kids, tell me, what are you doing to um, connect with your friends when you can't see them face to face, you know, and they'll, I'll get a bunch of comments and I'll write them down and then I'll be able to say, oh, you know, Amelia says that she's been writing letters to her friends and, uh, and, um, and Timothy says that he's been doing video chats. So, you know, just, just little ways where, you know, you're saying the kids' names, you're recognizing them, you're showing off their artwork, you know. Um, I think that kind of thing is so huge for kids and they see so they it makes them feel so validated and seen. Top three. Okay, so the top three. So what I see is engagement as far as having them send you stuff. You solicit, mm-hmm. hey, send me some pictures. Do yep. something between shows and then scan them and email them to me or yep. mail them to me, whatever. The birthday shout outs, birthday shout outs, that's like kid place live stuff. You know, it's like yeah. every it's every year for the past, I don't know how many years, many years, every year since I've known that Jack's been on the radio, I always make sure that both Mike by boys get a shout out from Jack Foreman on their birthday. That's and awesome. we just happen to be driving in the car listening to Kids <laughs> Place Live during Jack's show when he, you know, when he gets those shout outs. So, and that's because that's a big thing. It's a cool thing yeah. to have yeah. that celebrity do that. And it was something that I noticed that you did because I'm on Facebook in the morning before your shows and I see you post 15 minutes. Hey guys, going to be going on the show in 15 minutes. Why don't you, mm-hmm. you do solicit questions ahead mm-hmm. of time. Yep. So I think those three things, give them something to do between shows, shout out to them during the show and, and right before the show prep them that those are, you know, that's some, that's some cool stuff. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. I was, I was talking to Jesse Jukebox uh, the other day out of Cleveland. He sends kits to families they subscribe or, you know, I think they have to, there's probably some payment thing, yeah. you know, 10 bucks, but then they get like some shakers and some, that's awesome. Pen, you know? And so it's like, oh yeah, if you're part of the club then, right. And it's right. a physical thing that you can't do or a physical thing that you would like normally do if you were in the library or something. You right. To right. Hand out stuff. So, yeah, I mean, there's, it's been cool to look around and see, see people's uh, creativity. I know you interviewed Amelia Robinson from Mills Chills recently, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I mean, her, you know, some people have really made their shows, you know, or, or especially early on in pandemic, we're doing, you know, Amelia was doing these live songwriting. They was all interactive, you know, and, and um, getting, you know, getting suggestions in the moment from kids as they write a song on the, on the spot. Um, so seeing that, you know, it's been cool to see the way that um, different artists in our field have been collaborating, bringing guests onto their shows, mm-hmm. um, and th- different streaming platforms seem to kind of allow for different kind of interaction in that way. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's so much, I feel like people, it's a creative bunch of folks and it's uh, inspiring to see everything people are doing. Yeah. We're using zoom right now, which I find to be the easiest to use for these sort of interviews. Right. And then I use audio hijack, which is a, another application to record in the back. So right. that's, and that's how I can put the podcast together. Nice. But, um, I know, uh, like Trills Mills, she was using, or Amelia was using uh, StreamYard. I yeah, StreamYard. That and that, mm-hmm. it just has a whole different level of functionality. Right. Uh, what do you use? I use um, OBS, Open uh, Broadcast System, I think is what it stands for. Um, it's a little more, 
Um, there's, I mean, there's tons of potential that there that I'm just scratching the surface of it's, I don't think it's as user-friendly as StreamYard. Um, I think there's like, you could make it as functional. You could run a, you know, a high quality, like sports game styles broadcast off OBS if you had the gear and know-how. Um, but it's cool. You know, it's a way where I can use a, use an external camera and an external audio interface. I can add little titles and graphics pretty easily toggle between them. Um, so yeah, I'm just kind of scratching the surface of the, uh, of the functionality of OBS, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's been a good tool and it, it and then you can kind of stream directly from there to Facebook and, uh, yeah, so it's, it's been working out That's for me. Cool. Do you, it's hard uh, for you. I mean, you're in a, you got a five, five piece band, right? So have yeah. y'all been able to do any of that or, you know what? And no, what happened was when the, um, we primarily, we do, we do play some library gigs. We were supposed to play, we had a whole kind of library tour around, uh, central western montana lined up we mostly play uh events uh mm-hmm. parks and rec summer yeah. you know, summertime gigs in missoula right. in this area it shuts down pretty much after september just the weather mm-hmm. gets so cold yeah. uh, we play maybe sometimes into october and as early as may 5th mm-hmm. is kind of the first outdoor we can play here yeah and there, there's really not that many indoor venues during the winter yeah other than Sometimes breweries have like family night, that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. So when the uh, pandemic hit and and everyone started to go online, I looked at it and I was like, you know, I, I, I'm not going to get into that space and try and do a single Cowboy Andy by myself yeah. thing. Right. I'm just going to promote everybody else who's doing it, and yeah. and then and wait and wait for it to come back, and then we'll be back out there playing live. So, yeah. Um. I know like people like Twinkle Time and uh, Wendy and DB, they do those sort of uh, variety shows where yeah, they invite yeah. many people on and they'll run them through. Yeah. And I've been on, invited to do that. And I, I think it'd be really cool. I just haven't set, I haven't gone through the process of setting it up yet. Yeah. So. I, yeah. I mean, it's a steep learning curve and I feel like I sort of learned as much as I needed to, uh, to, to do something, you know, functional quickly <laughs> And then I stopped. Then I stopped learning. So I think probably, <laughs> probably, well, I need to like uh, teach myself some some new tricks if I'm gonna um, survive for much longer doing this. But yeah. from a pr- production I mean, standpoint, your lighting, your set design, your flow, your editing too, going in in and out of like the critter stuff, you give yourself yeah. uh, some off camera time during yeah. the broadcast. Which I noticed, I was like, that's a smart move. I mean, this yeah. is it makes it look like you probably have two assistants. You know, running around like you're it, it reminded me a little bit and i hope you don't take this the wrong way because he was a, certainly a, uh, i'm a huge fan of captain kangaroo oh yeah and the no, feel that's a huge compliment f- okay good <laughs> the feel and the flow of what you're doing today i today it, uh, i've seen it a couple times but today specifically i was like oh, that's what this reminds me of yeah it kind of has the same just the same aesthetic to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love, I love that. I love that early, you know, lots of those old, those old shows and just, you know, the live studio audience. I, I, I wish, I wish there was an actual live studio audience, but you sort of just treat the, you treat the internet audience as your live studio audience. And, you know, you got your little, your campy segments and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, I take that as a huge compliment, but yeah, I mean, but I, it's, yeah, it's really interesting to see all the different ways people have adapted to this. And I, I, I love that you're doing this, you know, you have this, you have this kind of, uh, peer colleague collegial support mechanism through your podcast and you know you're lifting up other people and i think that's such a important thing to be doing right now and you know 
Yeah. And I've, I've heard, you know, I, I think I've heard the same from other people. Some people were kind of felt poised to be able to pivot quickly into live streaming and others who are like, okay, this isn't like, I don't need to overcrowd this space um, with, with this right now or, you know, and so I think it's, I respect that a lot, the sort of like choice to step back for a minute and, you know, kind of wait till the time reemerges to, to be performing live again. Yeah. Let's shift base uh, or let's shift uh, focus here for a second. I want to kind of get back to the music. One of the, yeah. Um, not going into too deep of a dive, but and I, I mentioned earlier that you got a grant to do uh, back in 2013 to help kind of finance, I suppose, your first uh, your first recording. Nobody yeah. nobody just gets a grant. It isn't like you know you're sitting at home and the phone rings and hey, we're a you know nonprofit. We'd like to give you ten thousand dollars to make an album. Right. What do you say? Right. You know, that, right. It doesn't work that way, does it? Right. No. <laughs> oh, thank God. No. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, everyone but me. So what was the deal? Uh, just in brief, what was the deal about that bit? Yeah. So, I mean, that was just early on, you know, it was, I guess coming, cause I was coming out of working in a nonprofit scenario uh, setting for like seven years and I've been managing a program and I've been doing grant writing for this after school program and, and little subsidiary programs um, from that. So I was sort of in that mode. Um, I had, you know, I'd kind of built that skill set a little bit. And so it seemed like a, a logical thing to apply to this. And um, yeah, the, my first, for my first album, I got this, you know, I think a $3,000 grant from this kind of like mysterious little foundation. It was called the Celebration Foundation. I think it was just someone, you know, maybe with some family money they were interested or something like that, looking for a way to, to give back to the community and support the arts. Um, so it wasn't a, you know, it was, uh, but a friend, uh, a friend who was a printmaker had, had gotten a grant from them and, and suggested that. And, uh, yeah. So at that point I, you know, kind of was barely scraping by from my performances. So I definitely like needed a little influx in order to, to put together an album. So I, I applied and I got it. And, uh, so that, yeah, so that got me the, helped me, create my first album and then, and then there was another there's a local uh, it's called the regional arts and culture council and they're a, a, a local um uh kind of uh, foundation is not the right word it's it's uh, they get tax money um there's an arts tax in portland and they manage that so f- after my first album i got a regional arts and culture council grant for um to do a series of videos i, I kind of framed it as a tv pilot at the time but really just should have called it a mini movie because I didn't know the next thing about trying to get a shop it around or anything. But that allowed me to make like a little 20 minute kind of puppet film, um, which had a lot of little uh, music videos as part of it. So, yeah, so I got really I feel like I was really fortunate to go and, you know, and was able to find some, um, you know, foundations and uh, grant uh, uh, grant sources that, um, that that I was qualified for at the time. And um, yeah, so some of my early projects, uh, you know, that's kind of how I, I got the whole thing off the ground and then turned to crowdfunding for my second album. And then by that point, I think I sort of, um, you know, kind of had built up the business enough that I could sort of um, self-finance the future album. So, but that was a great way to kind of mm-hmm. get it going. So the first album was Deep Woods. That was 2013. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that was yeah. all all traditional Americana covers, basically? Yes, basically, except for the sort of intro, like theme song, um, called the deep woods it was all adaptations of old traditional public domain folk songs okay um the next one was deep woods revival mm-hmm. and that was two years later june 2015 yep yep and that kind of continued in the same thread it uh was again mostly traditionals 
but I, I began taking more liberties and sort of like weaving an original, more of an original narrative um, into these folk songs. So writing new verses, um, you know, my, when, when it comes to like, for me, adapting an old folk song, often, you know, I might keep the melody, but to totally change the chord to traditional chord progression underneath it. I might just come up with a new melody and new and new chords, add my own lyrics. So it's, I mean, it's, it was still a creative process, but it was still the majority of those songs um, on both of those albums and throughout my first several albums were public domain folk songs. The song Deepwoods Revival, the title track, mm -hmm. is that a- that, is that was the sole original. That was the, um, on deep on that album, that was fully original. Well, yeah. that's a, but that's a magnificent song. Oh, thank you. Well, no, seriously, like from a, from- uh, from pretty much every angle, analyzing that song structurally, uh, the flow of it, the story of it, the message, the moral, you do kind of a deep dip. I mean, that's th that song at some point teeters into more advanced material than mm -hmm. traditional children's music. Sure. Um, and then... You know the 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 feel and the production of it. Who did the did did Dean Jones help with that album? Not that album. We you know it was funny. I I had met Dean after my first album at a Kindycom, and we sort of were in conversation about me maybe going out to New York to record that group of songs. But then I I decided to record that locally, um, just because I had an amazing community of musicians I was working with here, and I reconnected with a friend named Adam Selzer um, when I first started playing bands in town his band was, you know, kind of big on the Portland scene and I'd always, uh, admired his work. So, uh, so for that album, I did, I did it locally. Dean played a few instruments and like added a few layers on that album, but it wasn't until the next album, wake up and sing that I record that I went out to New York mm -hmm. and recorded with Dean. So yeah. So Deepwood's revival was recorded, was produced locally um, by my friend, Adam Selzer in a studio in Portland. Yeah. Um, the song Deepwood's revival got a lot of play on kids place live mm -hmm. and still is, mm -hmm. um, as, and I think that's probably when I became a, more aware of you, I suppose, yeah. on the scene, the national scene, sort of. That was like, do you feel that that album was the one that sort of like, oh, there's a bigger game going on? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I, the, you know, the first album, the first Deep Woods album, I mostly recorded it in my basement. Um, the production value, uh, you know, I had my friend who I was in a band with kind of help me mix it. We got it professionally mastered, but it was pretty much just home recorded and you can definitely hear it. Um, I, I didn't really know what I was doing and, uh, and, and I think it kind of shows, but, um, but yeah, to do it, to do Deep Woods Revival in a studio that definitely, you know, that's when I started working with Beth Blins Klukas. Um, so like getting a little more national PR that was, uh, Deep Woods Revival was the first song, um, I, of mine to, to land on Kids Place Live. So, I mean, that was huge and it, it made it into their charts. So, I mean, that was all, kind of you know new territory for me so yeah definitely that felt like a kind of a big jump for me right on and then uh just going through your catalog you're doing like one a year you know wake up and sing in 2016 born in the deep woods revisiting the topic again yep, yep. so there's the tripe the trifecta basically those three yep. albums are the are the the story deep woods trilogy yeah <laughs> trilogy should be like a hobbit you know? <laughs> it's like deep woods i don't know it's like it has nothing yeah. to do with that but it's like oh yeah i guess it's the lord yeah. of the rings yeah, thing yeah. for me I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh everything in threes top yep. three there you go okay. <laughs> there you and go. then um old barn mm -hmm. old barn yeah that was my that second to last album that was uh 2018 
And that was kind of revisit. That was like more consciously diving into my sort of Texas country singer songwriter roots. Um, you know, we're on barn banter now. So definitely, you know, there's, there's a whole, I, uh, the deep woods albums were exploring all of these old American folk songs about mostly woodland animals, um, uh, you know, of which there seem seem to be thousands of songs I could have chosen from and, um, found my favorites and then was inspired to write new songs. Um, but then, yeah, but then I, there's also, you know, a whole genre of like barnyard animal folk songs. And so, mm -hmm. uh, so for the old barn, I, I decided to kind of like shift gears, kind of do more of like the country rock thing. I mean, there's still a lot of sonic similarities, but a little more country rock than just kind of straight like folk folk rock. Um, and yeah, and that album was kind of each, each album has been, there's been progressively more original material. So by old barn, it was kind of half and half um, original songs and traditional songs. And then, but then the new one, Backyard Bop, is my first all original uh, album. So, so that's fun. That's like a was kind of a cool. I mean, I've been writing songs my whole life and have released albums of original material in other bands, but um, for Red Yarn, for this to, you know, after a very long kind of dive into old folk songs, it's, it's fun and refreshing and, you know, and kind of also like nerve wracking and vulnerable feeling to, to be releasing an album where I'm not leaning back on any of those old tried and true folk songs where it's just, you know. It is kind of scary. Yeah. yeah. Our first album was when we formed the, the Salamanders. There was three of us. We were each the creative elements to it. There's three of us and a drummer. <laughs> we had these, like, <laughs> revolving drummers. We just kept picking up yep. different drummers, like, which was, which was cool. Um, and like on the first album, I wrote six of the songs and uh, the keyboardist wrote two and the bass player wrote two. And that was the 10. On the second album, I wrote all 10. Mm. And then on the third yeah. album, um, I wrote nine and then I did one cover. But yeah. there is kind of a, a, a vulnerable feeling. And also by the time we got to the third album, I was the only remaining member of the band. Mm. And that's when it mm -hmm. became Cowboy Andy. Nice. And there is sort of a strange feeling when you step into your own, it's just me. This yep. is going to be my stuff. And I'm going to, yep. this is when I started to, to distance myself from other influences. Right, right. Is that why you got the Gretsch? um no so good question i knew you're i knew you're gonna ask me about that gretch um i've actually had the gretch for gosh i've had it for maybe eight eight years or something uh -huh. um i just had never really like performed with it I, I performed with it a little bit in my old band um i got it my my dear grandmother my on my maternal side vera ann anderson she before she she passed in 2015, but she lived to be 102. And when she was, I think, 100, she was like, okay. Uh, so she was like, she decided she would give, just to kind of be able to give a little inheritance to, to her grandchildren and like see what they did with it. Uh -huh. um, she did the thing when she was still living, or she like uh, passed, passed on a little bits of inheritance to each of the grandkids. And so I, I, went, and, I went and I was like, I've always wanted a Gretsch growing up. Um, in high school, loving all the rockabilly stuff, I'd always wanted a Gretsch. I, you know, I'd always had my, I've had my Martin acoustic guitar that I got mm -hmm. with my high school graduation money. Instead of buying a laptop, I bought a Martin. Mm -hmm. And then I've had a Telecaster since I was 16, I think. And those had, those had been my main, uh, my main axes. But then uh, I'd always fantasized about having a Gretsch. So um, when my grandma uh, gave me that 
early inheritance, I was like, I went straight to the guitar store and I said, <laughs> she'd always been so supportive of my music and everything. So she was happy to hear that I put it to good use and there was something tangible and I can, I still think about her each time I hold it. So, oh, but yeah. I, I, you know, and so I, I, I used it a little bit, you know, for little solos here and there on my other albums, but I never really like been like that me holding that in the picture kind of thing, especially since it was more of that folk and country, um, angle to the, to the older album. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I really wanted to kind of do more of a, we, earlier when we were talking about the sort of like long chain of influence and the evolution of American music styles and, and, you know, you, you made the comment about like, what, what flavor of ice cream do you want today? Um, I mean, I love to sort of travel up and down that chain, up and down that highway, you know, get off. So I feel like, okay, today, this album, I can sort of get off in the 1950s and do my rockabilly thing. And then, you know, maybe next album I'll do like a whole, you know, psychedelic 60s folk rock for kids <sighs> thing. I mean, who knows? Yeah, totally. I, but you can sort of like, just, <laughs> I mean, when you sort of in, are engaging with your influences in that way and consciously, you know, you can sort of, um, it's fun, you know, it's, it's just, it's fun to play with genre. And, and so I, I wanted to do this kind of like small town, backyard, neighborhood kind of feeling. And so, and, and it just, the rockabilly style felt like a good fit for that. So, um, so I knew that the, the Gretsch needed to come out. And so I ended up writing most of the songs on the Gretsch, which was also cool because I got to sort of like get back into, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much just like a journeyman. Like I, I can play enough guitar to, to do what I need to do and like just a rhythm guitarist for life kind of, but um, it was fun getting the Gretsch out and like plugging it into an amp and like putting a little slapback echo on and like working on little riffs and, and, and getting a little fancier on guitar. So, um, so yeah, it was fun to, fun to pull that out and, and make that sort of the centerpiece of the new album. It shifted to your look. I noticed in, on the cover of uh, backyard bop. Now the hat's gone, uh-huh. you're wearing kind of rolled up jeans and you've got, mm-hmm. it's got, you got that fifties yep. uh, bebop sort of rockabilly feel going yep. to it visually yep. as well. Yeah. Yeah. That was all conscious. I mean, the funny thing is Andy, that that's like, those are my clothes from, from high school. I, 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 I did this whole deep rockabilly thing in high school. Like every day of high school, I dressed up like a sort of like in that fifties, uh, style. So, um, the shirt I'm wearing is like this one I got, I think when I was 15 and more to, you know, more to high school. So it wasn't, it wasn't a big stretch. Um, but definitely wanted to kind of like have a, um, yeah, to like show that aesthetically, like in, in the artwork and the photography and the videos and stuff too. Yeah. Like, okay, this is like slightly different, you know, slightly different territory. And it, and it's, for me, it's like, um, kind of bringing it, bringing it back home, you know, like it's in the backyard. It's like me, you know, all these critters who I met out on my adventures in the deep woods and the old barn, the idea is they've kind of all moved to the backyard and, uh, and we're all just like having a big dance party in the backyard. That's the backyard bop. Um, backyard bop. Yeah. I think and, we should listen to it. Should we do yeah, it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Maybe it's your birthday. Oh, maybe it's not. Maybe it's a cool day. But soon it's getting hot. Cause if it goes my way, this backyard's gonna rock. At the backyard pop. Come on in, everybody hop. Hell, no. 
no matter where you're from Cause when we share a backyard, we're gonna have to get along So call your brothers and your sisters, and tell them everyone can come To the backyard bar, come on in everybody hop At the backyard boogie, come on in do the boogie boogie Yeah, it definitely has a very that twang of rockabilly mm-hmm. is like right there. I was talking to Dean Jones actually when you were recording this album. I, inter- oh, nice. I was interviewing him. Right. And he was talking about the balance between you coming out and recording some tracks there and then going home and recording more tracks there and sort of this mm-hmm. cross literally, literally coast to coast mm-hmm. putting putting this album together yeah. as far as that goes. Uh, you you didn't see the did you see the pandemic coming uh no (laughs) no i didn't nobody seemed to have seen this one coming. (laughs) nobody expects the spanish inquisition and so the um the timing of releasing the album i've I've talked to a few folks who are releasing albums this year and it kind of sucks yeah i mean yeah yeah it's i mean it's it's weird it's definitely a hard time to be um yeah to to be trying to finish an album i i felt incredibly fortunate that i had already recorded like the musical part was mostly done mm-hmm. um the challenging parts were then like figuring out how to how to do a photo shoot and there were all these video plans and stuff mm-hmm. but i think i was very lucky that i had set this album in my backyard because we were a- we've been able to do we did a socially distanced photo shoot with me and my wife and then like you know all the characters are puppets um so for the photo shoot we were able to just kind of like pose them and leave them without puppeteers having to be nearby and then we've managed to do some video shoots too where we wear masks and keep distance and are just being very safe and it's a very bare bones crew um but yeah so i feel very fortunate that this that my next album wasn't like you know something based in the in the big city or you know something oh, yeah. like that it, like it's for it to be in the backyard and us to be able to continue making you know doing the photo and um, video stuff there has been great but certainly like um yeah, it's been complicated. And then just doing the, doing the, you know, doing the outreach, doing the promo and really, I mean, even more than the pandemic, I think with, um, yeah, just with all the sort of civil unrest going on right now and all the important activism that's going on. And, um, I mean, Portland, uh, you know, if you've been following the news has been sort of this, uh, epicenter for a lot of, um, a, a lot of, you know, protests have been going on, uh, you know, every night for the last, 65 days and um so it's just also kind of a strange time to be like oh yeah and hey over here look at me guys you know Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's 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 strange but i feel like you know uh the the families i talked to and the families who i've ordered early or who have sent early copies of the cd to it's you know it's been important to them it's still families are still as i know with my two young kids like families are still looking for something to do and families oh, yeah. are looking for for new books and new art and new music to um to enjoy so in some ways it's great timing and in some ways it's really hard timing and i'm just trying to embrace the strangeness of it all <laughs> if you were trying to sell cds face to face with people and do it like we have done it traditionally it, yeah it's a tough time but yeah on the flip side man we need distraction we need right. something to keep us away from all the misinformation that's going on out there. Yeah. And and 
the especially with kids, any any time that like I took up playing D and D with my kids this year. Nice. As a way to be like, yeah, let's sit down and do this for a few hours. Yeah. Let's just have total creative distraction in a different in a different way because it's heavy. It's heavy on me. It's got to be heavy yeah. on them. So as a performer, yeah. you know, saying, "Oh, hey, look, here's something new for you to dance to." Okay, right. let's do this as a dance party song now. That's important. Yeah. I think it's yeah. great. Yeah, and I mean, I've been trying to be, you know, in my live shows, I I try to I I try to talk about what's going on in the world too, and um, you know, and I try not to shy away from that with kids, but then you I try to balance it with you know with just kind of that the pure joy, the pure fun. Um, so it's a it's a delicate it's a delicate balance, and uh, I don't I don't pretend to to have the answer. No like I know how to do it, but, um, you know, I feel like it's important. We're honest with our kids, but it's also important that we have fun with our kids. And yeah. I think you can kind of hold both things, both and at the same time. Right. Yeah. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I so appreciate uh, you jumping on, but there's one thing that I want to talk to you about, uh, before I let you go. And this is, um, this is the, something that you've been given credit for doing in your community. And I think it's really, it's really super cool. And so, it's about building community, mm. building community with other musicians, other other kids musicians, musicians in your own genre to try and not just lift everybody up, but that synergy can actually make a scene stronger. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just going to let you talk for like three minutes. What is what is your take on that? How did you go about doing it? And what do you get to, uh, what re- rewards have you been able to reap through that personally, professionally, and then ethically? You know, socially. Yeah, yeah, great question. I mean, I think I, I came to this work from with sort of like community building as the you know crux of it. I think that's what I hope to do with the families I perform for. But then, the community of artists is always um, an important component of that too. Um, I was lucky enough to start performing for families in Portland at a time where uh, there were several. I mean, a good number of performers already actively sort of building the scene here. Uh, my friends Mo Phillips and Mr. Ben and the Alphabeticians are a few who come to mind who um, had already been kind of doing these weekly shows, doing the libraries, doing all of that. So I stepped into an already very fertile Portland scene, um, and there's been a lot of great sort of collegial support um, in Portland amongst just all the folks, all the creative. It's a creative town, and there's a lot of people, you know, making cool content for kids and um you know so colleagues like aaron nigel smith and laurie enriquez and point of man band and um there's just you know kind of a long list of awesome musicians making music here so we already sort of had that community um you know we would we've always sort of been in the habit of meeting up every few months you know we'll meet up at a pub and have a little chat or you know do, uh, uh, develop a little super group where four different group, you know, four different musicians will kind of do a shared show together, um, doing doing sets where you know multi band bills, all that. So that kind of was 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 here in Portland when I started doing this, and I I loved that element of it and tried to support that. And then I started kind of dipping my toes into more of the national scene, and I went to an early Kindycom and was like, you know, became aware of all the amazing family music music being made all over the country. So I was like, well those musicians ought to see all the great stuff happening in Portland. Mm-hmm. And I want these Portland families to see something beyond just their little pool here. Um, because you know, it's easy to pay for a family to pay attention to the guy who plays in your neighborhood once a week. Right. But not really care about anybody else. So I wanted to bring people here. So I started doing a family music series called the family ramble where, uh, I'd bring a band 
into town and set them up at a, um, you know, at, at a cool kind of like brew pub venue. Um, did, you know, so did that for a couple of years and then was really lucky enough to um, work with Beth Blins Klukas again, my publicist friend, and uh, Aaron Nigel Smith, who's another local performer, and the folks at the Portland Children's Museum. Um, we organized something called the Building Bridges Festival um, last September 2019. And that mm-hmm. was kind of a big family music festival, a weekend long thing. Aaron Nigel Smith had, had uh, he had a festival called Rocks and Socks that he did um, for a bunch of years, which was a similar idea. But then the Children's Museum kind of put their weight and support behind it. Um, and so we were able to bring in uh, bands from kind of all over the country um, with a great roster of local bands too. And, and we, we were going to do another one in September, but alas, that's another thing that's been put on pause because of the pandemic. But yeah, I mean, just, you know, just like you, the reason you do this to, you know, to learn from your colleagues and to share with other colleagues. Um, I mean, there's so, there's so much when you're so much, so many of us are kind of doing this like weird sort of self-employed We're you know, creating our own job kind of thing. Um, and so it's easy to feel kind of isolated and like scratch your head about how are other people doing this? So I think for me, any opportunity to, to, to meet with other colleagues, to talk with other folks, to share what I've learned, to learn from what they know, to share resources, um, all of that is just, it, it helps us all out. So that's, that's always been, I mean, it's, it's harder. It's, I'm finding it harder to do right now in this moment, in this pandemic moment, but, um, it's still super important to me. So. Oh, right on. Do you feel like um, from an economic standpoint, do you think that the local bands can maybe charge a bit more, get more gigs, better gigs, more respect, better PA mm-hmm. system set, that sort of thing mm-hmm. when you are that's, a community? Absolutely. I mean, that's definitely something that we have long talked about in the Portland scene is sort of like, how, how do we lift each other up? What what are you Yeah, what are you charging for birthday parties? What are you charging for libraries? Trying to kind of, you know, not like come up with like a hard and fast rule or anything. And everybody's going to sort of still operate on their own with what they feel comfortable with and what they need to make for their themselves and their families. But yeah, just having people to bounce those ideas off, like, Oh my gosh, I'd call a buddy. Oh my gosh. Um, someone in Colorado just called me to come do a like one-off gig. Uh, what should I charge them? You know, mm-hmm. what should I, what should I quote? Right. Just to have other people to talk to about that kind of stuff, I think is so beneficial for our scene. And, you know, and, and I see that work going on in so many ways, like you, you doing this podcast and, um, and, and the Kindycom, um, you know, conference and these, com- you know, conversations about race and family music that uh, Alphabet Rockers and Saul Paul are doing right now. Just like there's so many ways in which we're um, our community of artists sort of is reaching, reaching out to each other and supporting each other and, and building community. So it's really inspiring to see. Right on. OK, so your new album is called Backyard Bop. Backyard Bop. And if I'm not mistaken, it drops in like three days. Yeah, Friday, August seventh. Wow. That yeah. is so awesome. This yeah. is probably going to fly a couple weeks after that, but but I can go back and listen to I it. Go back and listen to it again. How about if they want to reach out to you? So we'll do it two ways. If you're a family who listened to this and you're like, I want to learn more about Red Yarn, more about Andy as a musician, where should they go? Um, RedYarnProductions.com is my website, but um, uh, Facebook.com/slash RedYarn is where I've been doing my live stream shows, my homespun shows. And then, you know, uh, I think on Instagram and Twitter, I'm uh, Red Yarn PDX, at Red Yarn PDX. So those would be, a f- oh, but also on YouTube, I've got a YouTube channel and I've been releasing a lot of new mm-hmm. music videos and got a new little um, sh- little web sh- web series uh, video shorts in the works that, that I'm going to, you know, keep, keep adding to in um, September. So they should check me out there too. Do you have enough followers to monetize at this point? 
Not yet, but well, hoping, hoping, people... hoping maybe we can work. work Jeez, work if everybody listening to this podcast just goes and subscribes, then you might tip the scales. And there you go, because awesome. you only need three, right? Because only <laughs> three people listening to this. So. Okay. Oh come on. <laughs> Andy, thank you so much for uh, for coming on. Please promise me you'll come back again. I want to hear what things to. are going on in like six months or nine months or whatever. As we get through this, we roll into spring, kind of be like, okay, this is what we learned. This yeah. is how it's going. You're gonna go for the you putting in for the Grammys this year? Yeah, I always do. You know, I it's I've, I'm um, I I feel like we might as well. You know, it's oh, yeah, the yeah. the category exists there, so I always submit. I'm not like a super active campaigner, but. Uh, you know, I put in and, you know, cross my fingers and maybe some miracle would happen, but we could talk never to really can. Lori Enrique. She, uh, yeah, there she, you go. She, she can give you pointers. I just became yeah. a voting member. Two, oh, nice. Two days ago. So, oh, that's awesome. It only Great. took me eight years. Sure. <laughs> Nobody could see Love that expression it. that I just gave. Only you. <laughs> so I'll save that. All right, Andy. So thanks again, man. Nice to meet you. Thank you, Cowboy Andy. It's great to talk to you. Till next this time. So much fun. Till next time. Okay. Cool talk. Cool talk with. Red Yarn, out of Portland, Oregon. And uh, strongly suggest that you check out his material, uh, subscribe to his YouTube channel. Doing some really good best, like best practice stuff that uh, I think people in the industry could pay attention to and learn something from. And he's still doing it. Released his album a couple weeks ago and is still doing the uh, web, uh, web series, which is totally fun. High energy stuff. Really does really great work with puppets. And I'm always intimidated to work with puppets because... Uh, they need snacks. Uh, they work union wage, which is so totally weird for me. They require their own dressing rooms, evidently. And uh, they, they tend to spend way too long uh, hugging the bathroom mirror. But other than that, I think they're just, puppets are just wonderful. And if you want to be on Barnbenter with Cowboy Andy, well, just drop me a, a note at my very riveting email address, fun at cowboyandy.com. And we can start to chit-chat about getting you on the show, telling me about your best practices, your trials, your tribulations, your last suppers, your playing both Jesus and Judas and Jesus Christ Superstar. It's the dream of mine. Until then, see ya, 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 la, 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 do it now with me. La, 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 la. Comment to all those puppets out there. I make no offense. Please don't come and haunt me. We all like to be hugged and loved, tucked in our beds at night. Tall or small, boy or girl, brown, pink or black or white. Ho, ho, ho. Let's sing a song about how we're all the same. How we all like snacks and cuddles and we all like playing games.